All right, Rockbridge. Hey, I hope y'all are doing well. My name is Matt Evans. want to welcome you wherever you've gathered any of our five campuses, or maybe somebody gave you a CD or a link to our website. Thank you for joining with us. We're in part two of a series called Underdogs, and we've established that <coughs> Excuse me. everybody loves a good underdog story. And just so we make sure we're on the same page, an underdog, if you look kind of in your dictionary or Google it, is somebody that's expected to lose a contest or a struggle. That, hey, we're, we're, we're not favored to win, we're too small, we're too young, they're too fast, they're too big. And we generally think of it in, in terms of athletic or some kind of competitive activity. But we, the reason I think that we all sort of identify with this word and we all sort of like to, if, if we don't really have a, a stake in the game, we all, all sort of want to cheer for the underdog and the Cinderella story and that kind of thing is because deep down there, there's some area where you, in your life, where you feel like an underdog. There's some season in your life where you have been an underdog. There's a set of circumstances or a set of conditions where you are incredibly uncomfortable because you just feel like in that situation, you are going to lose or you're not going to look good, or, or you're not going to be able to, to meet the expectations. And so we all sort of identify with this underdog story. Now, if we're not careful, and this is kind of what we're trying to unravel in this series, if we're not careful, then being an underdog gives us an excuse to have low expectations. That, that the fact that, you know, hey, I, my mama didn't teach me how to do that, or my parents uh, got divorced, that's kind of why I'm where I'm at. Or the fact that, hey, I, I don't have this degree, or there's nobody in the job that really likes me or really knows my deal, or I don't really know the, the right kind of people, or my, my chances, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that kind of gets overlooked, or God could never use someone, or even worse, God could never even love someone like me, and that underdog status kind of becomes an excuse for the rest of your life or for that area of your life, whether it's your finances or your spirituality or your marriage or the way you parent. And so we have an excuse to have low expectations. So we kind of unraveled and introduced that concept last week in part one. And you can check that out online or there's a CD if, if, if you're still in the CD kind of category. Uh, it's kind of moving away from us, isn't it? Uh, that's in the lobby space. You can pick those up. But we're going to kind of now get into people in the Bible that... Had, a, had an excuse, people in the Bible that were underdogs. And so to introduce this, uh, you know, I'm going to flash back to my, uh, or rewind back to my high school days. Do you remember when you used to, and this is going to be kind of gross, but just bear with me. You remember when you used to get like a zit at the wrong time in high school and how it just like upended your day or upended like that week, okay? Am I the only one? Okay. Uh, or y'all just don't want to admit it, all right? I, I, I get it. I know this is TMI, but I feel like we're a little close, right? I mean, we come to church together. We can be honest. I, I used to have this one like spot on my forehead that just like was a, a, like it just like grew zits for a living or something. I, I wish I could. Uh, and and you didn't want to get that at like prom season, right? Because who's going to want to go to prom with that guy, you know? And you, I remember waking up and there it would be. And then you go through the rest of your day like I hope nobody can see it. Well, the whole world can see it. I think they can see it from outer space, you know? It's one of those things, and it just makes you so self-conscious. Now, you know, you, know, you kind of outgrow that season, but you don't go outgrow this excuse, the excuse of insecurity, the, the, the excuse that, hey, I'm not enough, that I, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good-looking enough, I'm not acne-free enough, I'm not rich enough, I, I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not good enough. 
I'm not lovable. And, and what happens when, when you have an area of your life or you're an insecure person, you can react several ways. You can kind of withdraw and, you know, kind of become passive. Some insecure people get very kind of confrontational, like a rattlesnake in the corner that feels threatened, and, and they're defensive and they're controlling. And when anybody has a better idea than them, no, 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 you know, you shoot that thing down. So there's different ways that this, you know, different symptoms that show up from insecurity. But the bottom gut level feeling is you feel vulnerable and afraid, and so you're going to protect that through isolation and withdrawal or through kind of control and defensiveness and, and maybe attacking who or whatever feels threatening to you. So if we dissect insecurity a little bit, there's kind of two forms or two facets of insecurity. So not all insecurity is bad. God has wired us to be insecure when our existence is threatened. So, you know, if I'm swimming with great white sharks, I'm going to be insecure. If there's a fire in the house, we're going to be insecure. There's, a, there's an alarm that kind of goes off that, hey, my survival, my existence is at stake. So insecurity acts as a warning. But there's another way that insecurity acts as a warning. And this is the area we're going to attack. It's when my identity feels at stake. And, and, and not to keep laboring on my high school zit story, but, you know, if, if people, like, make fun of you in high school or people you know, don't want to hang out with you because of the clothes you wore or the zit on your forehead or whatever the case may be, you sort of start to think, well, something's wrong with me. My, and I'm going to keep breathing and my heart's going to keep pumping, so my existence isn't at stake. But it's like my identity's at stake because you know how you get where my identity gets wrapped up in what people think about me? And I'm insecure that what if they don't like me? So, so there's a warning that, hey, my identity is threatened and my identity is vulnerable. So we're, we're not going to talk about this kind of thing because existence insecurity is actually a good thing. It keeps us, you know, put your seatbelt on in the car. Uh, we build cars with airbags now. Uh, don't smoke, you know, those, those don't drink and drive. All those kind of things are insecurity warnings because, hey, your, your survival is at stake. What we want to look at is this one right here. When I become insecure about me and who I am as a human being, who I am as a person, who I am as a teenager, who I am as a soon-to-be college graduate, who I am as a retiree, who I am as someone in, in midlife, that identity insecurity that, I, that we all have or have had or struggle with, or there's some scenario where we just look ourselves in the mirror and we don't see the zit, but we see that... Oh, something's wrong with me. And it makes us insecure. Well, God used a guy who struggled with insecurity. In fact, this person, even if you're not like a Christian, you've heard of this person, you've, you've heard of the Ten Commandments, uh, you know about the, you know, the Big Ten, so to speak, and his name is Moses. And, and it's just an amazing story of an underdog who did not think he was blank enough. And he is, his whole initial relationship with God is based on insecurity. And, and, and if you're like me, you will find so many things about Moses in this story that we're going to read in, in Exodus chapter 3, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3 and 4, that you can identify with this guy Moses because he is very insecure. We're going to start reading in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Let me kind of set up where we are. Israel, the Jewish people, are, are slaves in Egypt. They're being oppressed. They're being beaten. Uh, Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Then when he's an adult, he sees the oppression of his people, his ethnic people, but he's kind of in the royal house, kind of a stepchild, so to speak, of royalty. And he kills a man. 
for how he was mistreating the Jewish people. Well, then he flees and runs from his life, runs for his life. And about eight, you know, when he's about 80 or about 40 years later, God gets his attention and, and says, hey, I, I got a plan for you. And that's where we pick up the story. So then the Lord said, as he's gotten Moses' attention, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. Now, this is something close to Moses' heart. Because Moses, and Moses is like bothered by how his people are being treated. Now, this is a cue for you. Because everybody is like, what is God's will for my life? Or how does God want to use my life? And you got to pay attention to your passions. you got to pay attention to your passions that match God's passions. That when God is against something or when God is for something, and if, if you're against something that God's against, and that really gets you going and really gets your heart rate up, Hmm, hint, hint, hint. Maybe, maybe, maybe God wants you to do something about that. Or you're for something and you know God's for that too. And then maybe, maybe, maybe your passion matches God's passion. So just kind of see that in the story and you can say, okay, what does God agree with that I agree with that it should not be this way in the world or it should be this way in the world? And that's a cue for how God might want to use you. But to use you, he's got to go through the underdog. So here we go. He goes, so I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I know about their sufferings. And I listen, this is amazing. This is so amazing. Don't miss this. This is when the Bible like comes alive. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. God is saying, I have come down. Now listen to this next line. Therefore go, I am sending you. Whoa, 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 you caught that, right? God says, I am coming down. Go, I'm sending you, Moses. See, there's this amazing thing about God, and, and, and it's been his plan all along. It's been his plan all along. He says to Adam and Eve, hey, I'm sending you to represent me. You're, it's called the Imago Dei in Latin, the image of God. Moses, I don't like suffering people. I don't like people being oppressed. I am adamantly opposed to that, so I'm going to do something about it. Go do it, Moses, because I know you're opposed to it too. I know it bothers you too because you killed a man over it. I'm not happy with how you handled that 40 years ago. But this, way, this time you're going to do it my way, Moses. I've got a plan for you. You know how you and I get to heaven? Because God sent a man. He says, I'm going to come down and save people. And he sent himself, Jesus, as a man. Therefore, go. I'm sending you. It's the storyline of Scripture. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And he says, I'm going to do something about it. And then he picks points, taps your shoulder, taps my shoulder, gives a <clears throat> in your spirit, a, a passion in your soul. And he's like, hey, go. I'm sending you. You're going to do something about it. I'm going to do it through you, God says. So go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And the next line should say, all right, God, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And here's what he says. Well, who am I? I bet you everybody in here, in listening to this, there's been some area, some season, some period of your life where you felt like you were being asked to do something and you said, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? There's three questions. If you're a note taker, it says two. That's a typo on my part, so you can just add a three. There's three questions that sort of reveal insecurity. The first question is whenever you find yourself, when the first question that comes to your mind, when there's an act of obedience, when there's a challenge, when there's something to be done, and your question is, well, who am I? That's insecurity going off in your soul. Now, it feels justifiable, right? Because you're like, hey, I could never, I'll never, I could, who am I? See, let me, let me explain this. Some of you will not pray out loud. 
And you will not pray much at all because you do not feel qualified to pray. So when someone like in your small group or someone in your family at Thanksgiving dinner says, hey, why don't you pray? What immediately comes to your mind is, who am I to pray? That's why all of you ask me to pray when I'm there, right? Because <laughs> I'm supposedly the professional prayer person. How many blessings are you losing because you don't pray? Because this is what comes to your mind. Who am I? Listen, there's some of you who are not Christ followers. Please listen. Please listen. There's some of you who are not Christians, and here's why. You come here every week, or you've had somebody share Christ with you, and you hear us every week talk about baptism, and here's what you're saying. Who am I that God could save me because of what I've done? Who am I that God could love me because you look yourself in the mirror and you see that big problem, that big past, that gigantic sin? And so when a pastor, a preacher, a Christian friend says, you need to give your life to Jesus, here's what you say, who am I? And insecurity is keeping you away from the family of God. Sometimes we stand up here and we talk about next steps, love God, love others, live sent, and we talk about living sent, serving, going out in our community and blessing people in our community in the name of Jesus. And, and that call comes out and, and you kind of get a little fidgety and here's what goes off in your mind. Who am I? And you talk yourself out of God's plan for your life. That is insecurity. So what does God do? How does he answer Moses? How, how would he answer you when you're saying, God, who am I that you would save me, die for me, use me, want to talk to me in prayer? Who am I? Here's what God says, verse 12. He doesn't, tell Mo he doesn't answer Moses his question. He doesn't, he doesn't answer, well, Moses, you're, you were born in this family and this year, and you know, this is who you are, and this is what you're good at. He doesn't go the self-esteem route. Notice how most, like when my kids and, you know, your kids ask, well, I don't know if I can do it. We go self-esteem, self-esteem. God doesn't go self-esteem. God goes God-esteem. Watch it. I will certainly be with you. That's who you are, Moses. You're someone who's in the presence of God. Then Moses asked God, well, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? So Moses says, okay, well, if what's going to get me over the who am I hump is who you are, God. Well, God, who are you? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, here's the challenge and here's the problem. When we have identity insecurity, it really reveals who our functional God is. Now, when I mean function or functional, I mean the God, little g, little g God, in your life that you need to function. You need that little g God in your life to get you going because that little g God defines you or has come to define you. Listen, I, I've seen people pray for kids. God gives them kids. Kids become their little g God. They function through their kids. You know, people have prayed, God, give me the promotion. They get the promotion. They get extra money, and they get a little more responsibility. Then their job becomes their functional God. Let me, let, me, let me read you this to describe functional God. Our God is the person or thing that we believe has the greatest power to determine who we are, why we're here, what we should do, and what we're worth. Our God is what we can't help but seek and follow because we believe our God's promises will bring us the greatest happiness and or the greatest significance. 
And so Moses is like, he doesn't want to be defined by God. He's literally become defined by his comfort and insecurity and familiarity with just being some kind of shepherd or herdsman or tribesman in the desert. See, I'm going to say this very quickly. God does not want any of us to look ourselves in the mirror of life and not know how to answer this question of who am I? But God knows that if you put your identity in anything except Him, it will lead to periods of debilitating insecurity. Insecurity where you talk yourself out of salvation, you talk yourself out of meaningful service in the name of Jesus, you talk yourself out of rich communion with God through prayer. How about this one? Hey, have your own quiet time, study the Bible. Who am I? I don't know enough of the Bible. Only one way to know some of the Bible, just open it up and read it. But we just talk ourselves out of it because of this insecurity around our identity where God is saying, hey, look, here's here's who you are. You're mine. I am who I am, created you, made you, wants to work through you. I'm sending you, Moses. So the excuses continue, and then Moses keeps throwing them up to God. Chapter 4, verse 1, here's the next one. Then Moses answered, well, what if... They won't believe me. Let me, let me just say this. If God ever asks you to do something and you're, you go back to God with a what if, you're on the losing side of that question. Okay, just, just a little personal experience. What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? See, there's a second question that reveals insecurity, and the question is what if? Now, here's why this is powerful in your mind and how it helps you talk yourself out of doing something or how it keeps you where you are instead of where God wants you to be is because it feels like logic, but it's really just camouflage for insecurity. Because you're, t- you're saying, well, what if this happens and you're throwing out a worst-case scenario or a potential catastrophe and, and you're really and you're an area of uncertainty. So you're like, what if this, what if this, what if this? And before you know it, you've talked yourself out of doing anything. I don't know if you've ever been like in a committee meeting or a meeting of a bunch of people. Somebody's got an idea, and it's, it's kind of powerful. It's kind of risky. It's kind of would take a little bit of courage. And then everybody goes around the room and says, like, well, what if this? What if this? What if this happens? The next thing you know, hey, good meeting. And you hadn't decided a thing. We do that in our brains, don't we? What if this happens? What if this happens? Yeah, hey, what if, hey, come to church with me. What if the roof on the church falls down? I wouldn't be responsible for that many deaths, you know? People do it. We just do it. And it feels okay, and it just hides and camouflages the the challenge of insecurity. So when you are asking yourself, what if, I want you to ask a second question. What am I afraid of? Or what am I hiding behind? What am I hiding behind? Now, there's a third question that's implied in in Moses' dialogue, and and it's a powerful one, and it might be the most powerful one in in, in our church here today, and it's this question of what if they don't respond to me? Who's your they? Do you know how powerful they is in your life? Have you ever said, well, they say. Well, what what if they? You know, it's like, well, do do you realize God does not care how many followers you have on Facebook? Do you realize that? Do you realize God does not care where you went to college? Do you not realize God does not care what your waist size is? Do you realize God does not care about so many things? But you know why we care about them? Because they care about them. 
the people in my first period, the people in my work, the people I'm friends with on social media, they care about them. Listen, they can easily become a little G God over your life, and you become insecure because you're insecure. What if I can't please or earn or gain the approval of they? So if, if you ever have this impulse, this impression, this <clears throat> from God to step, to go, to stop, to start, and your next question is what if and what about they You've got insecurity because they is now, it has now taken God-like power over you. Now, do you see what all this does? Who am I? What about they? And what if, what if, what if? You see what this, this reveals? Insecurity fears exposure of vulnerability. And it, then it moves toward avoidance. I just want to avoid that. I just don't want to go there. I don't want to step out. I don't want to get baptized because I'd have to be, yeah, you got to admit you're a sinner. I don't want to take that step because, so I'll just avoid it. And some people avoid it with false bravado. Some people avoid it by, they just never put their name in the hat, never put their, never get in the ring, never join, never start, never participate. And, and they just avoid. And, and this is where Moses lands. And it just kind of, God just keeps peeling back his arguments, peeling back his excuses. And here's verse 10, chapter 4. He says this Moses replied to the Lord, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either, either in the past or recently, or since you have been seeking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant. In speech, God, I just can't perform. I don't have the characteristics. I'm not your guy. I'm not your gal. I'm not the one you want to use. And, and all of us have something where, we, where I'm not eloquent or I, I'm not this way or I'm not that way. And God, there's that, that's why we, you can't use me. That's why it's not me. Listen, this logic works with the NFL. Hey, Matt Evans, I'm not 250 pounds. Check me out of the NFL, Okay. It, it works for Major League Baseball. It, it works for certain things in certain arenas of life. In the kingdom of God, and we have a core value at Rockbridge, we're kingdom seekers. In the kingdom of God, saying I am not eloquent, not an excuse. It might actually be the opportunity that God wants to use to show his sufficiency in your life. So let's kind of expose insecurity for what it is. And we're getting there in just this, this interaction between, that we see between Moses and God. So first is there's a satanic lie. The satanic lie is this. For God to love us and use us, a degree of perfection is required. Hey, Moses, I am not an eloquent man. I'm not, I can't speak good enough. I, I can't do all those things. So there's, a, there's this sense where a degree of perfection is required. Now, I am not talking about Christian maturity. I, I'm talking about where we think God only uses certain kinds of people, and they're people that are more perfect or closer to perfect than I am. Or, or I'm not, I'm not. And a lot of us, what sabotages us is the past, our past performance. What sabotages us is we don't really believe God saves us by his grace. We think somehow God saves us by a little bit of his grace and a whole lot of our good works or our goodness. And that's just not the equation. It's all his grace and none of our goodness because we have no goodness to offer apart from Jesus. So that's a satanic lie. So the moment you're saying, God, you can't, and you're giving God reasons why he can't use you, God's not going to let that go. 
because you just don't know God as I am who I am. So listen to what Yahweh or God says back to Moses. He says this, who made the human mouth? Who put you together in your mama's womb? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go. God comes back to where he began. I'm sending you. I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. God does not let go. When God calls you and knocks on the door of your heart or your life to obey, to start, to stop, to move, to change, to, to live sin, to come into his family, the knock keeps coming and he will keep bringing you back, keep bringing you back, and keep bringing you back. It will not relent because God does not give up on people, period. So let's keep talking about this and let me just call a spade a spade. Insecurity is a sin. Do you see the sin? Unbelief. And listen, it's not that you it's not, not believing in yourself. It's not believing in God. See, we think insecurity in, in spiritual things is I, I just don't believe in myself. I don't believe I'm qualified enough. I don't believe I'm capable enough. I don't believe I'm good enough. But really, it's saying God is not sufficient enough to use or to save or to call or to move me. So it's disbelief of God. You believe he exists. You just don't believe he can use you or do much with you. And it's just unbelief. So insecurity is a sin. And then finally, Moses, uh, Moses is just tired and here's what he says. Lord, please just send someone else. Not me. That's not for me. And God gets angry. The Lord's, go back please, the Lord's, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Now listen, that, that's our, because a lot of us think when we're in security, because we, we don't really call it a sin, we don't call insecurity a sin, and, and we don't call it unbelief. Insecurity is like our excuse. Hey, God, this is why, because, because I drank way too much back then, and I did some things I shouldn't have done, and I was a womanizer, or I was a cheat, or I was a liar, and now I'm saved, but God can't use me anymore. God's not going to use me because of that. Okay, and so insecurity feels like our rock-solid reason why we can't, why we shouldn't, why we won't, and God should send somebody else. And our logic is solid, but our, but our sin is solid too. And so insecurity feels safe. Insecurity feels like it's the reason I can just keep sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in the seat in church and never get out and serve and never get out and live sin. Insecurity is the reason why I don't have to go to church because, because the building will fall down and because you know, God doesn't want people like me in the church. And insecurity just kind of gives you a reason to stay where you are and stay as you are. But I want you to see what the Bible says. God gets mad at your insecurity. It is an insult to him, his call upon your life. It is an insult to the, his image that he stamped in your soul when he decided to make you. God gets mad because insecurity gets put in front of our destiny. And we just miss this because we're so focused on this. So how do we overcome insecurity? Because obviously, eventually, God used Moses. And, and again, like we said, Christian or not, in, in part of our legal system and our law in the West is a Judeo-Christian legal ethic. So somehow God got Moses past himself. So how do we overcome insecurity? Number one, a couple of things. 
Don't avoid insecurity. Examine it. Ask those questions. Get to the root of your unbelief. Get to the root of why you, you, you don't believe God would use you. Go down deep. Don't just stop and say, oh, God can't use me. Oh, God won't. Oh, I can't. Oh, I'll never. I'm not blank enough. Examine it. Don't just rest on insecurity. Probe it. Examine it. Dissect it. And see how deep God's grace and God's power and God's call will come and grab you there. And secondly, please remember, this is not Dr. Phil. The goal is not to believe in myself more, but to believe God more. The goal is not to walk out of here, oh, I believe in myself, I can do it. No, you can't. But that's not an excuse. <laughs> see, see, we excuse ourselves. Not, but guess what? You can't. That's the exact point of being an underdog, but God can. Now, I want, to, I want you to make sure you, you pay attention to the word choices on the slide. I didn't say believe in God. Moses believed in God. The devil believes in God. I said to believe God. Because you can believe God exists, but not believe God wants to use you. Or God wants to save you. Or God wants to love you. Or God would ever call you. So the goal is not to believe in myself more. I can do this. I can do this. I'm smart enough. I'm... Uh, uh, Stop. No. Get your eyes off yourself. That's the problem. Get your eyes on God. He is who I am, who I am. And third, this is the beautiful part. This is the grace. This is why insecurity can be an invitation or a, a mercy. Invita God, insecurity is actually an invitation. See, God's not going to go around your insecurity. He's going to go right through it. You've been going around it. God keeps going through it. He goes, through, he goes through it with Moses. So what is an invitation to? Number one is to greater dependence. Greater dependence. Now, here's the paradox here. The more dependent we are on God, the less vulnerable we are to anything else that could hurt us, harm us. Remember, that's our fear, a threat, a threat to my existence first or a threat to my identity. But the more dependent that you are, the less vulnerable you are because, you, you know, if you're, if you're dependent upon God to define who you are, then you are less vulnerable to your peers and you're less vulnerable to being a people pleaser, okay? If you are less dependent upon money and more dependent upon God to define your happiness, then you are less vulnerable to the fluctuations of our economic cycle, See the power of that? Any other little G God that you get dependent upon, you become more vulnerable. If money is your God, do you know how vulnerable you are? If sex is your God, if people's opinions of you is your God, if, uh, if beer and, and a night on the town is your God, if what those people say about you is your God, if social media is your God, do you know how vulnerable your joy, happiness, and peace is? Some of you do because you got the scars to prove it. And so, so God, the most loving thing he can do for you and for me is to expose the fact that we are created to be secure only in him. And then we're not vulnerable to anything of eternal significance. So it's an invitation to greater dependence. Realize this too. It's also an invitation to answer somebody's prayer. Because do you realize every time you tell God no, somebody somewhere is probably praying for you to tell God yes. 
If you're not a Christ follower yet, I bet you there's a grandmother, a friend, someone who invited you to church, and they are praying that you would get past yourself and get into the grace of God and say yes to becoming a Christ follower. Some of you, you have a passion, and it is a God-given passion. It's something God himself is passionate about. And, and somebody somewhere is praying that you would step up and let God answer and let God be the one that is coming to solve and speak into and bring grace and love into that problem. And God says, I'm doing something about it. I'm sending you. You could be an answer to somebody's prayer who's hurting, who's in pain, who needs an invitation to church this Christmas, coming Christmas season. You could be that person. That's why insecurity is an invitation to be used by God. And then finally, when, when, we, when we understand this, this is, this is where the, the power comes in. We are not trying to be impressive. We're trying to display God's impressiveness. That is one of the most liberating statements that can be made. Because once God gets Moses to the point where like, Moses, I don't really want anybody saying, oh, Moses, you are a great orator. That's not God's intent. God wants people to see how he uses somebody like Moses and say, God, you are a great God. That, that's the point. That's the point of people standing up here singing. That's the point of me standing up here preaching. It's not that you walk out of here like, whoa, Matt's impressive. Gosh, that would be the worst thing that could happen. What I'm trying to help you see is, wow, God's impressive because God loves you. God is a God of the underdogs, and that's all of us. And God wants to meet you and in, your, in, in your insecurity and use you to become part of his forever family and then to be part of the people that advance his kingdom and his love and his message to the ends of the earth. If you'd bow your heads, close your eyes, we'll pray. God, I feel like there's a couple of steps that we might need to take in our minds and our hearts here today. God, the first is maybe to confess that something in us or some way we're seeing ourselves and not seeing you is holding us back from the step that you are calling, pushing, nudging us to take. So God, I just want to confess on behalf of everybody here today, whatever that is. You know, Moses had several. His lack, of, uh, his lack of eloquence, his lack of just identity in you. He didn't understand who you were, God. There are so many ways, God, that we can just have an insecurity and just bank on it, lean on it, and never move forward. So, God, we want to confess that. And we want to renounce that in the name of Jesus. But, God, we realize that that place is where you're meeting us. That place is where you're bringing grace and your ever-eternal sufficiency to meet our insufficiency. So, God, we just want you to touch us, and we want to be obedient, and we want to hear from you, and we know hearing from you requires we move. You don't just speak to give us information. You speak for application. So, God, I pray that we would be in tune with your voice right here, right now, in whatever season or arena of life that you're speaking to us. And finally, God, I just want to pray for the person or the group of people who is not yet a Christian. And the reason they're not yet a Christian is they don't think they're good enough or they don't think your love and your grace is big enough. God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we renounce the voice of Satan in their head and their hearts. And we ask Jesus that you right now just reveal your love and grace because you died in their place. And you reveal your power over their sin because you rose and came back from the dead. And that people right now would say yes to you, Jesus to be their Lord, their King, and Savior, and they give you the steering wheel of their lives. God, I thank you for your word to us today. 
And I pray your word would be implanted in our hearts and come alive and bear fruit in our lives. For your glory, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.